is a reading from the Gospel according to John. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is troubled. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his pallet and walked. The Gospel of the Lord. Do you want to be healed? Without any hesitation, every one of us here tonight answers yes to that question. We all desire healing, whether it's physical healing, psychological, or emotional healing. The real question, though, is what does health really look like, at least according to Jesus? The Gospels are filled with many healings. We hear and we read about Jesus opening the eyes of the blind, about Jesus opening the ears of the deaf. We hear about Jesus enabling those who cannot walk to walk again. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. What is the point of all of these healings? Does Jesus heal all of these people simply so that they can somehow escape death? Or so that they can live to be 80, 90, or 100 years old on this earth without any problems? The answer, obviously, is no. St. Paul says it so well in 1 Corinthians. He says, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, if we have just put our hope in Christ, 
just for success or just for health in this world, then we are foolish. And the reason is because Jesus has come to bring us more than this world. Jesus has come to give us eternity. It's so hard to think about eternity, a place without time, without space. A few months ago, I had this providential meeting with a family where, where I'm, I'm now living. And I say it was providential because it clearly was the hand of God. I was at ShopRite getting batteries and all of a sudden this family, it was a, a wife and her husband, came up to me with tears in their eyes. And they asked me if I had a few moments to talk. And I said, sure, of course. And this wife began to tell me probably one of the most difficult stories I've ever heard as, as a priest. This past Thanksgiving, so just a few months ago, her and her husband were waiting for their son to come home, who lived about two hours away in Long Island. Her son was 34 years old, and he was going to come home that morning to celebrate Thanksgiving with his family. And when Thanksgiving morning came, they were all looking forward to seeing him. They were getting food ready. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And it wasn't her son, but it was the police. Because her son had died that morning of a drug overdose. I couldn't imagine more difficult news. And as she and her husband are telling me this, this story, they're crying and I'm just sitting there listening to them. And after about a half hour of them just sharing how they're feeling, their experience, their, their pain and their sorrow, the, the mother looked up at me and she said these words that I'll never forget. She said, I just wish that I could be certain that my son is safe. At least the way I translated that heartfelt cry was, she was saying, I wish I could be certain that my son 
is in heaven. And isn't that really the desire we all have? We want to know the certainty of heaven, not only for ourselves, but for those who we know and love who have died. And my brothers and sisters, the beautiful news of the gospel is that that certainty is exactly what Jesus has come to reveal. It is this certainty that Jesus has come to give us. Pope Benedict, in one of his encyclical letters, has this beautiful line. He says that through Jesus, we have become certain of God. Jesus is, in a sense, the proof of heaven, the proof of God's love, of God's mercy. Therefore, Jesus' healings in the Gospels and those that happen today, because they still happen today, those healings, though, are never an end in themselves. They are, in a sense, a window through which we are given a glimpse of another world. The greater miracle is not necessarily that somebody can all of a sudden see or that somebody can walk again, as beautiful as that is and as wonderful as that is. But the greater miracle is that God, in Jesus, enters our life. That God, in Jesus, hears us. He sees us. And he certainly knows our pain and our suffering. That's why the, the real purpose of the healings in the gospel is simply to reveal to us that Jesus is God. That he's not just a prophet, that he's not just some sort of wonder worker or uh, magician or even some holy man. The very healings he performs are a manifestation of his divinity. Jesus doesn't do these things to entertain us or to sort of woo us, but he does them to reveal to us that he is God. He does them to reveal to us that we can have that certainty of heaven. A few years ago, I was at a talk 
down in, in Manhattan. And there was a man speaking who had leukemia. And he just went to Lourdes in France, just a, a beautiful place of many, many physical healings. And when he went there, he certainly was hoping and praying and asking for, for a miracle, for healing. And when he came back, he went to see the doctors, and sure enough, he, he still had leukemia. And everyone asked him, did you get healed when you were in Lourdes? And his answer was always, in Lourdes, I experienced something much greater than a physical healing. And everyone was kind of wondering, well, what could be better than a healing from leukemia? I'll never forget this man's answer. Because he said, in Lourdes, I experienced the love of God. And he said, I'm no longer afraid of death. And he died a few months after that talk. But I would say that that man, in a sense, died healthy because his soul was in right relationship with God. Before this difficult reality of, of sickness and of death, Every one of us, we are all confused. We are all a bit anxious and a bit afraid. And that is a very normal human response. But the reality is, Jesus has come not necessarily to take away death, not to take away sickness, but to take away our fear of death. To lead us to this other world. Where, as he says so beautifully in the book of Revelation, this other world where Jesus himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. This other world where there will be no more death. Well, there will be no more mourning, crying, or pain. Remember in the Gospels, the disciples are oftentimes confused about everything Jesus is doing and saying. And they're particularly confused on the night of his passion. If you remember in the Gospel of John, when Philip says to Jesus, Jesus is telling the disciples that he has to go away, that he's going to be handed over to men. And they, like us, don't understand what Jesus is talking about. And Philip says to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going. 
How can we know the way? How does Jesus respond? He says, Philip, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. In other words, Jesus is saying, keep your eyes on me. I am your destiny. I am the beginning and the end. Do not be afraid. This is why I believe that the crucifixion is such an important event. And it's so important for us to see a crucifix. Because it's there in Jesus' death on the cross where he literally dives right into the heart of our deepest fear, death. The possibility of not existing, of not seeing our loved ones ever again. Jesus goes there, and what does he say from the cross, both by his actions and by his words? He says, trust me, follow me, even in death, because there is something more. Jesus never tries to escape death. Nor does Jesus ever give us a promise that our life here on earth is going to be easy, that it's going to be free from suffering. You might be familiar, but in some churches, you hear what's sometimes referred to as a prosperity gospel. Which, quite honestly, I don't understand how you get that when you read the gospels. It's sort of this idea that, well, if I just follow Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. I'm going to win the lottery every week, and my kids are going to do everything I say. I'm never going to have any problems. Jesus tells us over and over again in the gospels that if we follow him, we have to take up our cross, that we will experience trials, that we will experience persecutions, that we will experience suffering. But he assures us those things are not the final word. So almost this idea, well, if I just love God and sort of do what's right, or if I just come to church just to kind of be on, on God's good side. If that's all we're doing, we're really missing the deeper picture. Of course, God can do anything. And really, the number one experience of following Jesus is joy. 
It's a joy no matter what happens. But more importantly, what God wants to do, what Jesus wants to do in our lives, is reveal himself to us. That is his priority, to make himself known to you and I, so that we can live in this freedom. And quite honestly, we, and when I say we, I certainly include myself, we don't understand how profound this revelation is. The greatest mystery in the universe, God, says to us in Jesus, I have a name, I have a face, these are my words. This is the way I think. If you truly want to be human, follow me. And it's this kind of revelation that brings a hope and a joy that goes way beyond this world. And it's that revelation that can really transform us from the inside out. It's this revelation that can bring a healing to our souls and to our bodies that's oftentimes much deeper than simply the physical level. Remember the words of Jesus again on the night of his passion. The disciples are scared. They're about to all abandon Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them? He says to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Am I saying that physical healings or that a long life or that health is not important? Of course not. I'm simply saying that there's something more. Health and a long life is a beautiful gift, but there's something more. Am I saying that we shouldn't pray for physical healing? Of course not, we should. But what I am saying 
is that real health, real healing, at least in God's eyes, is not equivalent to a long life. That really health, first and foremost, means being in right relationship with God. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we always do what we should or say what we should. But that at least we're moving in that direction. At least we're trying to seek God, to draw closer to Him, to respond to His grace. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of of St. Therese. St. Therese grew up in probably what is almost a perfect family. Her parents are up for canonization. She had a beautiful, loving family. Her sisters, almost I think all of them but one, became Carmelite nuns. She had a very blessed, protective childhood. From a very young age, when she would come to church or when she would pray, when she would think about God, things of heaven, her soul was lifted up. And St. Therese enters the convent at the age of 15. She had to get special permission from the Pope. And almost as soon as St. Therese enters the convent, this young girl who experienced so much consolation, who experienced in her very being just the nearness and the intimacy of God, almost as soon as she enters, or as soon after she enters the convent, in a sense, all the lights go out in her life. All of a sudden, when she prays, she can no longer feel God's presence. When she thinks about heaven, she experiences this this coldness in her heart, and it doesn't move her like like it once did. All of a sudden, St. Therese gets extremely sick with tuberculosis. She spends the last year in her life really confined to a bed. She feels nothing of God. In fact, her her darkness was so bad at times that the thoughts of despair, the thoughts of suicide would run through her mind. Now keep in mind, she would not entertain those thoughts, but they were like little temptations telling her, there's nothing here. You've wasted your life. Where is God now? And just like all of the many atheists of her day, she couldn't feel God's presence. But unlike the atheists of her day, 
She chose to believe. And as St. Therese is dying at the age of 24, her last words are, My God, I love you. This young woman plummeted the depths of what true healing consists of. Union with God through faith. Even though her body was falling apart, her soul was soaring to heaven. What about St. Paul? We all know the story of St. Paul. He who once was a zealous Jew who persecuted Christians, all of a sudden has this experience where literally his eyes are opened up and Jesus reveals himself to Paul. And Paul begins this missionary journey where he travels and he preaches the gospel, where he's making all of these converts, where he's beginning all of these new churches. He's doing all this work for God. And there's a great section in one of Paul's letters where he's sort of talking about his resume, about all the things that have happened to him. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians. Because he's reminding the church at Corinth all that he has, in a sense, experienced following the Lord. He says, five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Three times I have been shipwrecked a night and a day. I have been adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, from robbers, from my own people, danger in the city, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and, more import- and most importantly, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. If poor St. Paul did not have high blood pressure, it would be a miracle. But what is the point of St. Therese, of St. Paul, and really of so many other of these saints who suffered incredibly? St. Francis spent the last years of his life blind. And the reason was because many people said he spent so much of his life crying. And it wasn't tears of sadness. It wasn't tears of depression. It was tears. He was so moved by the love of God. He He would see a sunset and immediately it would lift up his heart to God. It would remind him of the Creator, 
And he spent so much time crying over the beauty of the things of this world because it was leading him to God that he went blind towards the end of his life. But really, the point of all of these stories is that these saints are the healthy ones. They are, in a sense, the normal ones. You know, in our culture today, you're oftentimes considered a freak if you do anything sort of extra in terms of religion. It seems to me that what our culture is trying to do is to make religion almost as a, almost as a personal hobby, where it's, it's okay if you kind of do it at home and kind of keep it away, but don't bring it into society, trying to keep it away. The point of these saints is that even though their bodies were oftentimes not healthy, at least as we think healthy to be, and that even though their lifespan was not that long, they understood that real health, that real healing, occurs when we are rooted in Christ, when we are united with Him, when we have faith, when we have trust, we have confidence in Him. St. Therese always would talk about the little way. And she said, what is the little way? Confidence in God. It was that confidence in God that enabled this young woman to experience what she did and to come out not as an atheist, not just as a saint, but a doctor of the church, a beautiful mystic, someone who teaches all of us. And this is why the saints are really the most powerful evangelizers, because they attract us to Christ by their lives. If you think about it, it is through attraction that Christianity spreads most effectively. Christianity or Catholicism never really sticks when it is forced or when it's just simply reduced to rules or morality, as important as that is. And the reason is because the essence of Christianity it's not just rules, that the essence of Christianity is Jesus Christ. And when there are people like St. Therese, St. Paul, St. Francis, and so many others whose lives are so rooted in Christ, they reveal to us something different, something that is, in a sense, not human, something that is divine. And we want what they have. And what is it that they have but Christ? He is the one who makes them holy, who makes them healthy.
This beautiful season of Easter that we are in right now. What is the proclamation of Easter? Christ is risen. In the Eastern Church, oftentimes they have this this beautiful saying. It's simply, Christ is risen. And the other person responds, indeed, he is risen. Just a week ago, I was having dinner at a family that I know very well, near, near, near where I live. And this family was Byzantine, right? So they're Eastern Catholics. And as we were there, different people were coming in, uh, relatives and neighbors, and they were all part of the, the Byzantine church. So they're all Eastern Catholics. And it was so beautiful for me to watch because as these people came in and they would, they would greet the, the husband and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the wife and the children, before they said, hey, how are you doing, or what's going on, or the food smells good, everyone who came through that door hugged the person, and one of them would say, Christ is risen. And the other person responded by saying, indeed, he is risen. So what a beautiful way to greet someone. You know, this, this reminder that Christ is risen, that Jesus has conquered death. You know, in a very real way, in Christ, there is no longer death. Yes, all of us will die one day. But there is no longer death, meaning as the final word on our life. In the funeral liturgy, the priest says these beautiful words in the funeral liturgy. He says, Lord, for your faithful people, life is changed not ended. How beautiful is that? That At a funeral, as someone has just died, the church reminds us that life is changed for them. It's not ended. And so Jesus' question, do you want to be healed, is aimed at every one of us just like all of his questions. Those of us who are healthy right now, and maybe those of us who are sick. But if we truly want to experience his healing, there's only one way. That is by following him, by becoming his disciple. St. Francis once wrote these words to his brothers. He said to them, Hold back nothing of yourself for yourself, so that he who gives himself completely to you might receive you completely. In other words, don't be afraid to abandon yourselves Christ. Have confidence in Him. Have faith in Him. Even when you don't feel it. To the extent that we take this advice of St. Francis, we will experience healing. We will experience health. We will experience the joy 
that knows no limits. And the beautiful thing is that none of this is dependent upon exterior, uh, exterior circumstances or situations. We don't have to be a certain age. We don't have to belong to a, a certain social status. It's available right now for all of us. For all of us who are striving to come in this right relationship with God. Once again, St. Paul, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It is in him where our freedom, where our healing consists of. Just like last night's question, what are you looking for? The answer points to him. Just like tonight's question, do you want to be healed? The answer points back to him. He is the answer. He is our healing. He is our hope. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.